Welcome to the Three Point Threat Podcast. My name is John Kiefer. I'm going to be the host today. In a little bit, we'll be joined by editor of the JNotes.com, Jared Woodcox. Today, we have a really good podcast for you guys. I think this is going to be one of the best ones we've done. There's just so much to talk about with the offseason coming up and the draft being on Thursday. We're going to start out with point number one, and we'll talk about Kawhi Leonard and the news coming out that he and his camp have essentially gone to the Spurs and requested a trade. So we'll talk about what we predict is going to happen there. Is he going to be on the team next year, or is he going to be traded, and where he might be going? For point number two, we're going to jump into the draft um, coming up this Thursday. Really exciting, going to be really an intriguing and interesting draft. We'll start out by going over who we envision is going to be the top 10 picks of the draft and what order they're going to go in. And then we'll transition to point number three, where we'll really focus on the Jazz and do a deep dive into who they might pick with that number 21 pick. If you're a Jazz fan and you're just really paying attention to the draft now and you're trying to get caught up for Thursday, this is the podcast to listen to. We're going to go over a lot of names. We're going to preview guys who have been brought in and who we think would be at the top of our board if we were making those decisions. And we'll make some predictions on who we think the Jazz are going to pick and why and how they'll fit with this team. So it's going to be a fun podcast. It's going to be a long one, but there's a lot of good content. So buckle up. Hope you guys are ready. And without further ado, we'll get Jared onto the line. Point one. As I said, with point one, we're going to start out with Kawhi Leonard and the madness that is going on in San Antonio. But first, I would like to welcome our co-host and editor of the J Notes, Jared Woodcox. How you doing, Jared? Good. How about yourself, John? Doing really good. Had a good Father's Day. How about you? Good. It was good as well. And, you know, I'm really excited that it's, it's draft week, finally. I can't wait for Thursday. I know. It seems like there's been a long gap from the end of the finals to the draft. Longer than normal. I guess a, a sweep will do that. Um, yeah. I, I think I saw that if it had gone seven day, if it had gone seven games, game seven would have been on Father's Day. So we would have only had a few days. That would have been nice, but lo and behold, here we are. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of time to speculate over the draft. Uh, but first, there, there's been a lot of NBA news to keep you interested, and the main story that's going on right now is the Kawhi Leonard saga just continuing on from last season. Um, it was reported last week that Kawhi Leonard and his camp have really told San Antonio that he does not intend to resign and he would like to be traded. Um, so I, I guess my main question for you is, do you envision Kawhi Leonard being on the Spurs next year? And if not, where do you expect him to be traded? Yeah, you know, honestly, I do not expect him to be back on the Spurs, John. Um, I'll admit I was a little surprised when the official news broke that he did say he wanted out. I kind of still had some confidence that there was a chance that San Antonio could smooth things over. Um, thought maybe the Supermax could help them. Um, obviously, I'm kind of a side note that we won't go too far into, but the Supermaxes have just not worked so far. It's not convincing anyone to stay with their teams. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, given how this past season went, I guess it wasn't a huge shock that he, he decided that he wants out. And I do think the Spurs are going to trade him. I think they're done with this drama. You know, for a franchise that has historically not been, you know, victim of this kind of drama in the past, I think they're going to be ready to move on. You know, they were a pretty dang good team without Kawhi Leonard, obviously still a playoff team. If they can move him and get some assets for him, I think they're going to do that 
rather than have to deal with him. You know, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? They're probably sick of him being a distraction, even if he does play. And I think there's enough teams out there that are desperate enough to get one more star to get past the Warriors, or at least attempt to get past the Warriors, that I think they're going to have some appealing packages. Um, we can talk more about this together, too, but you asked me, you know, where I think he's going to end up. I do not think the Spurs are going to trade him to the Lakers. You know, that's all fine and good that he says he wants to go there or, or you know, reportedly wants to go there. But the Spurs aren't going to bow to his wishes. This reminds me so much of the Paul George situation. The Spurs are going to trade him wherever they can get the best return. And based on what we've heard, I really think that both Boston and Philadelphia could put together intriguing packages, you know, with some of their young players and good assets that they may be able to trade for him. But I also wouldn't be surprised if, similar to Paul George, if the Spurs just kind of trade into someone that nobody saw coming. You know, when, when Paul George got traded to Oklahoma City, it was a surprise to everybody. Nobody really saw it coming. And I could see the Spurs, you know, getting a deal that they like from somebody else that's not really on our radar. And, you know, maybe it's Charlotte, maybe it's Milwaukee. I don't know. Somebody random that they just ship him off to because that team is willing to give them the best deal in return. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch, and I think that's the sacrifice he's going to have to be willing to make is if you don't want to play there, well, we can trade you wherever you want. I don't believe he has a no-trade clause at this point. Um, and, man, like, just kind of touching on what you said, how the Supermax has not worked. He, If he stays with San Antonio, he's eligible to sign five years for $219 million. If he gets traded, the most he can sign for is four years, $188 million. So that's... $30 million he's willing to leave on the table of guaranteed money, um, which really just makes me think, like, what is going on in San Antonio? They've been viewed as this model organization for, I mean, 20, 25 years now, but the past two summers, Marcus Aldridge said he wanted to be traded, and now Kawhi Leonard wants to be traded, so I'm curious kind of what's going on with that organization, or if it's not the organization and just the players and it's just kind of one-off situation but uh, obviously it's been one of the most interesting stories of the whole season I I, what do you think do you think he was hurt do you believe the injury was real or do you think it was something that he was using to um, not play with the team and kind of force a trade I mean, I definitely think there was an injury. You know, I think maybe a lot of this stemmed from, it sounds like there's been a break in trust between Kawhi Leonard and his camp and the San Antonio Spurs. So I think there was some sort of injury. But then, of course, you get the little things that leak out, like when Tony Parker said that his calf injury was far worse than Leonard's and things like that. And I don't know, John, it's just so bizarre. I think there was an injury. And I guess the big question, the big controversy is whether, you know, the Spurs were in the wrong trying to play him before he was healthy or whether Kawhi Leonard and his camp were just trying to use an injury that he really should have been cleared from and been able to play from as an excuse to hold him out. I kind of think just based on the Spurs' track record and, and you know, on, on really the success they've had over you know two decades, um, I really think that probably the, the problem lied with Kawhi's camp. I think that there was an injury, but that he could have played, um, but they were disgruntled with the Spurs, and, and they pushed to hold him out probably for this very reason, so they kind of forced the Spurs' hand into trading him. It's odd, but that's kind of the way I'm leaning. Yeah, that's kind of how I think. I think it did start with a real injury, but there was just a break in trust where, I don't know if it was Kawhi or his camp, but one of the two didn't feel like he was ready, and the Spurs doctors reportedly said, you're ready, you can play. And when mm-hmm. the Spurs or as an organization didn't trust Kawhi Leonard saying, no, like I, I still feel this discomfort and this pain, 
I can't play, I think that's where the trust kind of split. Um, which I did hear, I believe it was Zach Lowe, he said he saw a workout for the Spurs where he watched Kawhi just in his workouts and jumping off of one foot, the explosion was there. But then when he went on the one that was hurt, he said it did look like there was still something missing. So I do believe the injury was real. I don't know the severity of it, but it's clear that there was a break in trust. And as I think we all know, like it's hard to rebuild trust when it's broken. Um, at this point, though, if, if he is going to be traded, I think it's really intriguing to know where he's going to go with the draft coming up. I mean, we could see a big blockbuster trade similar to like Jimmy Butler last year where someone yeah. who is really the Spurs, maybe they're looking to revamp. They want to get into the top 10. I mean, you look at Memphis has reportedly discussed how they are open and willing to trade the number four pick. Well, Memphis wants to be a 50-win team. I mean, if they can get Kawhi Leonard for the four pick and maybe some other contracts like Chandler Parsons, I mean, that makes Memphis a really intriguing team next year and also gives San Antonio a, a really good rebuilding piece. And, I mean, can you yep. imagine if Luka Doncic fell to four and then he went to San Antonio? I mean, that seems like he is the best-suited player to be in San Antonio. I don't know why. It just seems like he would totally fit with that culture and organization. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, what happens, and when a trade is going to happen, if it does happen. Yeah, I agree. And, and I had the same exact thought as you that, I mean, if the Spurs could find a way to trade up and get Donkic, um, it's just going to be, once again, they're going to see a team that's not rebuilding. They're going to have another franchise player pretty dang quick, and I think they'll still be, you know, obviously a playoff contender. Um, along with that, I agree, John. I think that there's a very good chance that we could see Kawhi Leonard traded um, in, in relation with the draft. Um, I do think that that's something that could be kind of crazy this year. The draft may have a number of trades. Obviously, the Grizzlies have mentioned they're open to trading their pick. Um, the, the, the Charlotte Hornets have mentioned they're open to trading their pick. The Denver Nuggets. And that's just the things that have leaked out or been, been you know, said. There could be tons of stuff under the radar that we don't know about that could be in the works as far as trades go. So this is going to be a fascinating week, and Thursday could be an incredible day full of tons of crazy news. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's move on to point two, where we're going to talk about um, the top portion of the draft and really our favorites to is going to go in the top ten. Point two. So as I said, for part two, we're going to talk about our projections for the top ten of this draft. Um, it's a really intriguing draft because you're seeing a lot of variation and fluctuation of where players are going to go in different mock drafts. Um, so, Jared, I'm just going to turn the time over to you. I know you've done a few mock drafts. Um, we're going to give, you'll give me your top 10 players and we'll discuss each player. And I also have my top 10. And if it differs, I'll let you know like who I projected to go there and why. Um, so kick us off with the Phoenix Suns. Who do you think they're going to go with? Yeah. So honestly, I think the Suns should take Luka Doncic, uh, not only because I think he's the safest and could very well be the best player in the draft, but I love that fit with, with Igor Kuksko. Um, uh, honestly, though, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Suns are going to take Aiton, DeAndre Aiton, number one overall. Um, obviously, there's that connection with him being, you know, from Arizona. Um, I honestly have some concerns about DeAndre Aiton. Obviously, the big man um, has a much different role in the NBA game today. Um, but still, there's been reports that Phoenix is going to take him, and I'm kind of leaning that way that that's going to be the case. So I have Aiton going number one overall. Yeah, so I, I do agree I have Aiton going number one just because that's that's what everyone has reported, and it seems like it's a sure thing. He only worked out with Phoenix. He didn't work out with any other team. 
um, which shows that he's confident that they're going to pick him. Um, but similar to what you said, I, I don't get why they wouldn't just take Doncic. I feel like he's a better fit, and he has that connection to the coach. Um, and my main thing has been if you take Luka Doncic with the number one pick, I think, one, you know you're going to immediately be getting a player who can step in and perform because he's already been doing it at a really high level for the European League. But also, Mm -hmm. Clint Capella is a free agent, and it's already been kind of linked that he... It's been linked that Phoenix has interest in him. So it makes sense to me that you draft Luka Doncic and then just throw a max contract at Clint Capella to fill in that center void that you're needing. Um, for me, in my mind, that just seems like the obvious route. But I'm not in charge, and everything I've seen shows that they're probably going to draft Aiton, who, you know what, he could end up being Patrick Ewing, Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, he, he's, his physical profile is amazing. I, I have yeah. no doubt that he's going to be a really, really good, solid NBA player. I do think there's concerns defensively, but I also it's, it's hard to judge players in college who are as good as he is because you never know if it's just he's bored. Has he never had the coaching that you get in the NBA? Like, is it a coaching problem and not a him problem? So, I mean, John Drayton, five years from now, could be a top five player in the NBA. I'm not sure. But I, I think Phoenix is going to go with him just because the upside is there, the connection is there with Arizona. And, I mean, the history of the NBA very rarely do teams pass on the star center prospect. I mean, regardless of how the NBA has evolved into this more wing-dominant, three-point shooting-type league, it still seems like there's just this love affair with big star-powered centers that we can never get away from. So I I agree with you. I think he's going to go number one. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because I think if you had, you know, Clint Capella and Luka Doncic on your team – you probably have a pretty competitive team right off the bat, kind of helps with some certain thing around. But if they like Aiton, you know, then I can see him going that way too. Yeah. Um, For my second pick, and honestly, I have this guy higher than most, you know, the Kings. Uh, Real quick, I will say there's been some buzz about the Kings going for Michael Porter Jr. despite his injury history. And if they pick him at number two, I feel like that would be the most Kings thing ever. Maybe he'll (laughs) pan out, but he's extremely risky. Um, if the Kings are wise, um, maybe I'm crazy on this one, John, but I think the Kings could surprise us and go with Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I really like him. I think he's, we talked about him, I think, yeah, last show or two shows ago about how he would be a guy that we're pretty high on if the Jazz had a top three pick. I think the Kings may surprise us and go with him because he just has so much upside. And I think he has a chance to surprise people and be the best player in the draft. I'm going with the Sacramento Kings picking him number two. Yeah, I think you're right, and that's what they should do. But this is the Kings, so they're not going to. Um, that's true. I mean, you're right. Like, it would be the most Kings thing to take Michael Porter, and then for him to just his back issues are bigger than we thought, and he never plays a career, never plays a game, um, yeah. or never maximizes that potential. Like that would be typical Kings. I would feel bad for them at that yeah. point. Like, it do. seems like they finally lucked into the number two pick after years of being poor. So. Uh, I just, if I'm the Kings, I expect them to go with Marvin Bagley the third. I I do have concerns on him as well. I think there's issues with him defensively. I've I've watched a lot of video, and there's times where it's just the guy gets past the initial defender, and he's the guy who has to be the help defender, and he just stands there and kind of watches. 
and yeah. with his leaping ability and the way that he plays he has so much effort on the offensive side of the ball when he's crashing the boards and going for rebounds if he could just put that same level of effort onto the defensive side he could be a terror but he just doesn't do it and there are concerns about that but I don't know I've always I've always felt that defensive issues are something that a good coach can help so depending on where he goes I think he could be better defensively Um, and Sacramento might not be that place but if I'm the Kings, I don't think they're going to pass on his upside. And regardless of his difficulties on the defensive side, I do think he's the type of player who's just going to be a walking 20 and 10 type guy. I think he'll get 20 points, 10 rebounds a night just because, I mean, say what you will about him and his the things that he struggles with, he, he gives it 110%. I mean, he really plays his heart out, and that's something that the Kings could definitely use. And, I mean, just imagine De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley on the same team together. Like that is just so much athleticism and I think that's a good core that they could build from. But like you said, if they're smart, I do think Jaron Jackson is the guy to go with. Yeah, I agree with you there. And so that kind of segues nice into me. I have Marvin Bagley going third to the Hawks. Um, you know, I still think that, that Donkic is the safer pick for maybe all three of these guys. Um, but I have Donkic sliding to four. It seems like there's been a lot of reports that that may very well be the case. And I understand people being a little bit concerned about Doncic if his game's going to translate over from Europe to the NBA. Um, I'm a little bit less skeptical about that. I think if the guy can ball, he can he can ball overseas. He can ball in the NBA too, despite some perceived weaknesses. Yeah. So yeah, I have Marvin Bagley, who you already touched on quite a bit, at three, and then I have Doncic at four, going to the Grizzlies. Yeah, I think that's good. I have uh, Jackson going three because I think the Kings are going to pass on him. You've already talked about him. I think he's. I think he's a great fit. I mean, he's shown an ability to shoot the three. He's aggressive on the boards. The biggest thing about him is he averaged, I think, per 40 minutes, like five blocks a game in college. I think he was second or first in the nation for that. Um, Just really, really good on defense, and that's something that with the Kings' new coach, not the Kings, with the Hawks' new coach, I can't remember his name, um, he was a Philadelphia assistant coach, but he was the defensive coach for Philadelphia. And I know his biggest focus for the Hawks is on the defensive side of the ball. So it makes sense to me that he would draft a guy with a really high defensive upside like Jackson. Uh, but then Donkic, I think if if the Grizzlies don't trade their pick, I think of the teams in the top 10, I think they're the team who have the highest potential to trade that pick. If they don't, I think Donkic is a great fit there. And I'm excited for him. Of all the people in this like top tier of the drafts, I have him as the highest. I think he's going to be better than John Drayton. Um, I think the biggest concern I've seen for him is just his athleticism. Um, is he missing that first step? Is he going to be able to create separation? But, I mean, we've seen guys like, James Harden or even Joe Ingles, people who are a little bit slower athletically, but they're able to use their intelligence and good ball handling and kind of like the stop and go moves to give themselves the space to create. So I'm not really concerned about that. And then also like he's 19 and playing in Europe, he's never had the type of training that he's going to have here in the NBA. And I've heard things about how he's a little doughy, like his weight has been a concern but you get him onto an NBA team with an NBA training staff, and I just think he could end up being more athletic than he has shown once he gets into an NBA training. 
So I think that's the best pick for the Grizzlies at number four. If Donkage falls to them and they keep that pick, I, that's that's a steal with the fourth pick. Yeah, no doubt. Um, then number five, I have uh, Mohamed Bamba going to the Dallas Mavericks. And honestly, you know, people have talked about how Bamba's potential is to become a Rudy Gobert type with a three-point shot, which is just scary to even think about. I mean, obviously, that's, that's a, kind of a long shot. That would be if he reaches his maximum potential. But if he can get to that, I think a lot of people have talked about how Bamba could potentially be the best player um, in this draft. I mean, that's kind of hard to believe with some of the talented guys that we've talked about here. Um, but if Bamba does reach that potential and becomes, you know, a guy that can defend the rim like a, like a monster and also stretch the floor, I'm going to be really happy for the Mavs just because they, they've stayed competitive despite – you know, maybe uh, some motivation to tank and things like that. Um, but I really think that um, Bamba could be an intriguing fit there with Dallas, and he's the guy that I have going number five. Yeah, no, I have the same pick. I think Bamba's a good fit for them. And just with his defensive potential, I, I like guys in the draft who have a high floor, and they just have a clear elite skill. And with Bamba regardless of if he reaches that offensive potential like I I I think we've all seen the YouTube videos and Instagram videos of him just stroking three-point shots I I don't know if that translates to actual gameplay like if he can actually shoot in the game because it starts to speed up and if you have a slower release you can't get him off as easily but at the very least we know he has the ability to be a defensive anchor and I mean kind of defensive player of the year type defensive player so I think that's a great pick for Dallas. You're getting someone who you know at the very least can lead you into being one of the top defensive teams in the NBA. If I'm Dallas, I'm I'm watching film of the Utah Jazz, and I'm going to start trying to tailor my defense similar to how the Jazz tailor their defense, where they have Gobert as that anchor in the center, and they're closer out on the perimeter with three-point shooters, and they force people into mid-range shots. So I think that's a great analysis and I think he's definitely going to be the fifth pick for Dallas if he's there. Yeah, we went through there. Kind of same way the Jets funnel people into Gobert. If the Mavs did that with Bamba, they'd have a good thing going for sure. Um, for number six with the Magic, um, I have Trey Young. And to me, Trey Young is such a weird prospect because I feel like he's such a boomer bust. You know, there's a lot of, been a lot of people that have thought that he's, his game won't translate over well to the NBA, that he's going to be too undersized, that his shooting won't, won't come over. Um, there's others that have kind of compared him to a Steph Curry type that's really going to explode and have a, a crazy three-point range and all that. And that kind of risky guy that may or may not pan out kind of feels like that's perfectly in the Orlando Magic's wheelhouse. Um, that's maybe the kind of guy they go after. Um, unfortunately, the Magic don't have the best uh, track record with developing guys. I mean, you look at... Uh, Tobias Harris and Victor Oladipo are the kind of the first two to come to mind that have just really thrived once they've left Orlando. And if Trey Young goes there, which is who I have predicted to go number six, uh, I kind of fear even more about his trajectory. Uh, but, you know, obviously he has a lot of talent. He, he can be an electrifying shooter. It's just going to be interesting to see how he pans out in the NBA. And so I have him going with number six. Yeah, me too. And I think that makes the most sense for Orlando. I mean, they don't if there's a big on the on the board like for both of us we still have Michael Porter Jr. out there like it just it doesn't make sense for them where they already have Aaron Gordon Jonathan Isaac Vukovic they have Bismack Biombo. like they just they have a wealth of bigs so it doesn't make sense like unless they're going to trade some of those guys away um, it doesn't really make sense for them to target a big and Trey Young is a definite need for them they don't really have a point guard they 
traded Alfred Payton at the trade deadline. So I think I saw a tweet that um, Shelvin Mack led the Orlando Magic in assist last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just, that's saying a lot. I mean, that's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I mean, Trey Young, he's a guy who led the NCAA in scoring and also assist, I believe. So he's a guy who, he's not just an electric scorer, he's not, he's not just someone who can light you up from three-point land, but he also showed a really good ability to facilitate and to find those open guys, kind of like Steph Curry. I mean, the comparisons are obviously there for, for Steph Curry and Trey Young. I think the biggest thing that would worry me is his defense. Um, I, I think it's been pointed out, like Steph Curry is, I think Steph Curry is 6'3", 6'4". I mean, he's bigger than you think. And I've heard he's stronger than he looks. Well, that's not Trey Young. Trey Young is only 6'1", 6'2", and he's really skinny. He only weighs 178 pounds. So it's going to be hard for him to play defense. And when I watched video of him and highlights, I saw so little effort from him on the defensive side of the ball. So not only was he too small, like physically he's going to struggle defensively, but it seems like it's a mindset. Like it really didn't seem like he was trying at all. Like whenever there was a screen, it didn't seem like he fought through that. Sc- it didn't seem like he fought through that screen at all. And that worries me if I'm Orlando. Like, do you really want a player who, while offensively he can be great, he's going to give up as much as he's scoring on the other end? Um, and I, I was I was on the Ringer, and they always say like this is kind of who he projects out to be. And one of the comparisons is Trey Burke. And for jazz fans, I think we know kind of how that panned out. Like, yeah, I, I, there, there's a history of these explosive scorers who do a lot from three point range in college who don't pan out in the NBA. Um, Steph Curry is kind of an outlier, um, but I mean, guys like Trey Burke or Jimmer Fredette, who a lot of Utah fans know, like, there's a worry there that they're better in college than they are in in the NBA, and he won't be able to carry it over. So, I mean, we'll see. I think the one thing for him that will carry over certainly is just his ability to shoot the three. So we'll see if he can become that star, but I think his baseline is he can be a really good, like, off-the-bench six-man if that's what he wants to be. Yeah, you know, he kind of, in some ways, obviously they play a little bit different positions. They're different sizes. But in some ways, you mentioned some other kind of college comparisons, but he kind of reminds me of another Oklahoma um, a former Oklahoma Sooner, which was Buddy Heald. And, I mean, Heald was just this electric shooter in college, you know, had so much hype. You had the, the Kings owner calling him, you know, the next Steph Curry or whatever. Yeah. And no, no offense to Heald, and I think Heald can still be a very good NBA player, but he obviously hasn't put up those expectations. I could see something kind of similar happening with Trey Young. So I think you, you're kind of spot on there, uh, John. It's going to be interesting to see how he stands out. Yeah. So with number seven, um, who do you have the Bulls taking? So, honestly, if if he's still on the board, I think the Bulls will go with Michael Porter Jr. Um, I know there's a lot of question marks regarding his health, but he's too good of a talent to slide past that, I think, especially since the Bulls have another first-round pick um, later in the draft. Yes, it's quite a bit later. I believe it's 22nd right after the Jazz. Um, But the fact that they have another first-round pick in a draft that's extremely deep and they can get another impact player later in the draft, I think if Michael Porter Jr. is available at number seven, the Bulls go out on a limb and get him. He's just too talented for them to pass up past number seven. And, you know, if he can overcome these health concerns and these issues, he's a proven guy. I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk before all this injury uh, troubles that he could be a top three pick. 
So I think the Bulls will take a risk, and they're going to go for Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I think as far as like who's left to draft, he definitely has the highest upside. I mean, before last college season, I saw most mock drafts had him as potentially the number one or number two pick. I, I didn't see yeah. a, I didn't see a lot that had him falling past that. Um, that being said, I still I, I don't really expect the Bulls to take him. I have Wendell Carter Jr. there. Um, I think he's been okay. one of the. I think he's been one of the highest risers of this draft. It started out and he was about. I know there's probably guys who have jumped further up, but in the lottery you don't see a lot of movement. Um, I initially saw him going around 12, and he's. I, I've seen some people who even think he might jump up to five in Dallas. Um, but I'm really just kind of a do-it-all type person. He's he's good, solid defender. Can shoot the three. Can play in the post. He has a close to a seven-five wingspan. Um, and when you're looking at a team that already has a player like Laurie Markkinen at the four, um, someone who doesn't really play a lot of defense and is mainly a stretch four, I just see that kind of overlapping with Michael Porter Jr. So I think they might end up going with a center who can kind of cover up for those defensive weaknesses. But um, that's they're one of the teams that I could see them going anywhere in this draft, though. So I think it makes sense. Michael Porter would be a good pick, but I have him going Wendell Carter. But... I'm assuming yeah, you have no. – do you have Wendell Carter going to Cleveland at the next pick? I do, yeah. And, I mean, kind of I think in there was the Cavs have had so many question marks as far as, you know, Tristan Thompson was in and out of the starting lineup. Sometimes when they need to go small, they'd have Kevin Love at that spot. So, Wendell Carter Jr. could maybe give them some stability at that position down the road. But then again, Cleveland's hard to gauge because with obviously LeBron James' free agency, if he leaves, they could completely start from scratch. You know, I think that the Cavs are kind of – a um, under-the-radar team to potentially trade this pick, maybe in an effort to get someone in there to try to appease LeBron. You know, maybe they make a run at Kawhi Leonard. There's been some speculation that the Cavs might be in the conversation for that, um, trying to say, hey, look, LeBron, we're going to pair you up with Kawhi, stay here. I don't know. It all feels like kind of a long shot, but the Cavs are a mystery to me as far as what they're going to do, not only who they may pick, even though I have Wendell Carter going eighth, but if they're even going to keep that pick, they may end up moving it if – they feel like they need to really kind of woo LeBron or, or start over. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's my big note on Cleveland is I'm, I'm not sure who they're going to pick. I could see him going Wendell Carter, Michael Porter. If Trey Young falls down, I could see him taking Trey Young. I could see Michael Bridges. They could go with a lot of options, but the hard thing with them is, I mean, are they making a pick for the LeBron era, like expecting him to stay, or are they picking for the post-LeBron era? Um, or are they going to trade it and hope to get some assets to keep LeBron here? So they're another one, kind of like Memphis, that's really interesting because they could go a number of ways here. Definitely. Who did you have going to the Cavs then at number eight? Um, I had Michael Porter. I, I, I think regardless of if LeBron stays or goes, I think he fits because he's someone who can kind of alleviate the scoring load that was on LeBron's shoulders. Um, a proven shooter he can shoot the three but he can also score in a variety of ways he can take players off the bounce he can shoot in the mid-range um and he's kind of like a bigger Carmelo Anthony so I think he would be a good pick for them regardless of if LeBron James stays or not I think he would be a, a promising prospect for him yeah I like that line of thinking um number nine I have Michael Bridges um going to the Knicks um, obviously a pretty dynamic guy, although I have seen Bridges falling in some mock drafts. You know, some have seen him in, in the mid-teens. Um, but I think he's an incredible talent, and I think that the Knicks, if he's available, would, would do well to pick him. Yeah, that's my same thing. I think 
he's just a good floor guy. Like I said, I mean, at the very least, he's going to be a really solid 3 and D prospect. I mean, it's hard to complain about a player who 6'7", seven, 7'2", seven, wingspan. He showed really good defensive abilities at Villanova. And he also shot, I think, I believe he was in the 40% range for his three-point shooting. I don't have it up for me right now. But if you're the Knicks, I think it's about time you just take a player who's going to fit whatever you do for the future. Because the Knicks are also a franchise that, I mean, they could do a number of things in the next few years. I've also seen them linked to Kawhi Leonard, and we'll see if that happens. But I think Michael Bridges just fits anything they choose to do in the future. I think he fits. Um, And that's why he's an intriguing prospect for any team because – I think a lot of teams look at him and say, no matter who we have on our roster we or what style we play, he's a guy who can fit. So, also a proven winner. I mean, won the national championship. There's something to be said about guys who have uh, been there and helped lead their teams to championships. So. For sure. I feel like he's a safe pick and that you know he's going to be able to contribute. You know, maybe his ceiling's not as high as some of the other guys we've mentioned. Um, but looking at floors can sometimes be just as important as ceilings. If you want a safe guy that's going to fit a number of styles, Bridges could be a very secure pick for the Knicks as you touched on. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what you touched on. That might be why he's falling down some mock drafts, though, is a lot of people in the lottery, like, they don't want the safe pick. They want to swing for the fences. But yeah. if I'm the Knicks where my fan base has had to put up with so much, just take the safe pick. Just take someone who's going to pan out. Give him something. So I think he's a good pick. Yeah. And then lastly, we got the Philadelphia 76ers. Who do you have going at number 10? I think they're going to – I wouldn't call it a reach per se, but I think they're going to go for Lonnie Walker. Um, Walker has obviously raised his stock pretty significantly. You know, there was some talk that maybe Walker would be in the Jazz's range. Now it looks like he is going to go in the, you know, maybe the 9 to 15 type range. Um, I do think there's some risk involved with Lonnie Walker. I don't think he's as much of a sure thing as some people think. But I also think he could have the potential to be a Donovan Mitchell 2.0 type of player. Um, good athlete, pretty good size. Um, and I feel like kind of the dynamic scoring that he could have um, would fit in well with something the Sixers need. He'd fit in well with that young core. And I, that's who I have going number 10 is Lonnie Walker with the Sixers. Yep, I had that as well. I, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Lonnie Walker and Donovan Mitchell like he touched on. And one of the biggest things is just – the rise they've taken since the end of the college season to the draft. Um, Really just high risers, and a lot of it has to do with their measurables and the potential that they both have. Lonnie Walker, I think, is similar height, like 6'3", 6'4", but has a 6'10", wingspan, elite athlete. I know um, Hayden Vandemat, the J-Notes contributor, he's super high on Lonnie Walker. He was hoping he would drop to the Jazz, Um, but that's why, because he felt like he could be Donovan Mitchell 2.0 it could be like we got two Donovan Mitchells on our roster Um, but I think he fits well for Philadelphia and they have a history of kind of swinging for the fences with these picks and um, again like really safe pick as far as his defense is concerned like he really was a good defensive player in college Um, and if you look at his form really pretty shooting form So his numbers, I think, are a little deceiving, where in college he only shot about 35% from three. Really pretty form, though, and I think that's something that you get him in a a system with a a shooting coach, it's going to become more consistent, and he could maybe end up being a really good defensive player who can also shoot 40% from the three, but with his athleticism can create his own shot. So 
Um, really good, good pick for the Sixers. I think they need another wing contributor, especially where J.J. Redick might leave, Bellinelli might leave. Like They could use another wing prospect like him. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, the last thing I'll say, I know we're just going to talk about the top 10, but you touched on this earlier. It just feels like picks like 14 down all the way to 40 are just going to be a jumbled mess. It's going to be crazy to see who goes where. And really, once you get past these top 10, it becomes so hard to judge who's going to select who. And while the top 10 is exciting, I'm actually more excited for what happens after that. So it's yeah. going to be a fun draft. That's, yeah. that's all I got to say. Where the Jazz are drafting is going to be really exciting. I know like one of the players I saw just as a reference, Anthony Simmons, I saw a draft where he went, um, I believe, number 16 to Phoenix. But then I've also seen a draft where he went like number 32. So. There's just a lot of variation, and it's going to be really fun because the Jazz are right in the thick of that with the number 21 pick. And uh, that's what we're going to transition to with point number three. Uh, Jared and I will talk about, in our own personal draft big board, who are our three favorite prospects for the Jazz to target. Um, and we'll also touch base just on a few other names that would be good for you Jazz fans out there to, to learn about. Point three. All right, so for point number three, Jared and I want to talk about our own personal draft big board. Um, so I'm going to let Jared start and take it away. Um, we've obviously looked at a lot of players on the J notes. We've been doing individualized draft profiles for all the people that have been linked to the Utah Jazz. But in your mind, if you were in charge, who would you like to see the Jazz go after? Yeah, so um, before I give my top three um, you know, on a recent piece that you did, John, I contributed and said who I would pick, and I've talked a lot about him, and that's Kyrie Thomas, who I've talked a lot about. I personally still really like Kyrie Thomas. I like him as a 3 and D player. However, um, recently Walt Perrin appeared on KSL Sports Beat, and I just got a sense that, that he wasn't big on Thomas, you know, and maybe it was a smokescreen. Maybe the Jazz will end up picking Thomas, and if they do, I'd be, I'd be really excited about that. But he kind of brought up that Thomas had some offensive deficiencies, Yes, he can shoot, but there's other areas about his offense that are worrisome. Um, so for me, I think that maybe Kyrie Thomas has fallen out of my top three now. I know that I'm kind of changing my mind a lot, but I'm sure that everyone's <laughs> done that as time's gone by. So my top three, and I'll give mine, and then we can talk about each one in more detail, um, however you want to do that order. But I think my top three right now in no particular order are uh, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Josh Okoge, and then this one might be a little bit surprising, but I'm going to go with Troy Brown Jr. out of Oregon. Those are the three guys that are my top three right now. Nice. All really good options, and I've heard a lot of good things about those guys. We do, so we have one that overlaps. Um, my top three, and probably in this order as well, uh, Kevin Huerter. Um, there's been a lot of buzz around him. I think the worry is he's probably going to – it looks like he's going to get picked before the Jazz can take him. Um, Ellie Okobo. Um, out of France, and then our overlap, Josh Okogie. Um, I know we were talking about this, but I had not really studied a lot on Josh Okogie, but then over the last week or so, I started really diving into him and looking at his uh, measurables and his numbers in college, and I fell in love with him, and he kind of vaulted up into my top three. Um, so why don't, why don't you start us off? You're, the first person you mentioned was DiVincenzo. Um, what do you like about DiVincenzo? Why do you think he would be a good fit for the Jazz? Yeah, you know, I just really like, you know, obviously he's a very good athlete. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, yet uh, John, I'd really recommend you watch that KSL Sports beat with Walt Perrin. I really like Walt Perrin. I think he has one of the coolest jobs ever, uh, <laughs> getting to work out all these players and really study them. 
But he also talked about how DiVincenzo was underrated on defense, which kind of surprised me a little bit because that's been one of the knocks about DiVincenzo is that he's not a great defender. Um, but it seems like the Jazz might be a little bit higher on his defense than others. And we talked about this a little bit earlier uh, with Bridges, just, you know, the fact that DiVincenzo has won an NCAA championship, has that winner's mentality. I just like a lot of his, not only his athleticism and his scoring ability, but a lot of the intangibles that he brings to the game. You know, I think an intelligence, I think a hustle. If his defense can improve, I think that's really appealing too, to be able to play both ends of the floor. So I don't know. I just feel like there's a combination of things that make me like DiVincenzo and I feel like that those would lead to him being a good teammate, a good fit on the Jazz. He's not going to rock the boat and mess up chemistry. In fact, I would argue he'd do the opposite, and he would just be another great piece that personality and skill-wise would fit um, with this Jazz roster. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. Yeah, I think he's a really good option. And, I mean, you touched just on his personality, and I think that's something that the Jazz do look for. Um, they're the type of team, type of franchise who really looks for just good people who also have a really high work ethic and a high motor, and he fits that bill. I mean, he really seems like he could be a guy who could step in and be an instant fan favorite. Uh, obviously, we saw what he did for Villanova in that championship game, and I know it's one game, but I think that says something. I mean, it really shows that he's not afraid of the moment and coming to the NBA, the bright lights of the NBA, I don't think that's going to phase him. I think it's something that's only going to motivate him to do even better. Um, but like you said, I think the big thing for him is he's not just a three-point shooter. He's someone who can score in a variety of ways. He can get to the basket. He can pull up off the dribble. He can shoot the three. Um, but then defense has been a big knock, but... I mean, as far as his size, strength, and athleticism, he has the build of someone who can play good defense. And, I mean, we talked about what a hard worker he is and what a big hustle guy he is. And, I mean, those are the words you usually use to describe a good defender. So I just, in my head, I do think he has the potential to be a really good defender. And if you got him in a culture like the Utah Jazz and a team that puts so much emphasis on defense – it's hard for me not to believe that he wouldn't give a lot of effort on defense and be a plus on that side of the ball. So, And anybody who has a nickname, the Michael Jordan of Delaware, you got to bring him in. So, Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're number two, and this is where it overlapped, was Josh Okogie. Um, I'll start and talk about him just because I've been yeah. really high on him recently. Uh He's near. He stands about six five. He's six four and a half in shoes, but he has a seven foot wingspan, which is just mammoth. I mean, that's such a big wingspan. And when we talked about Donovan Mitchell last year, that was one of the big selling points of Donovan Mitchell. And one of the reasons he was just rising up draft boards is because he blew up the combine with his. He was six three, but with a six ten wingspan. Well, this is same differential. Um, I mean, that's seven inches. That's a big difference, and that really leads you to believe that he can be a solid, solid defensive player. Um, but he is also, he's big. He's not, he, he's long, but he's not wiry. He's really strong, has a lot of muscle. But then he also had a 42-inch vertical, which with DiVincenzo, that they tied with the highest max vertical in the combine. So just elite, elite level athlete with also elite length. Um, but he also, at Georgia Tech, shot 38% from three in both his first and second year at Georgia Tech. So, I mean, really, he's a guy who athletically can step onto an NBA court and immediately will fit in. And his length will surpass a lot of people. And 
he averaged two steals a game in college, so he already has that defensive mindset, but then he can also shoot the ball and score in a variety of ways. I just think if you're swinging for somebody who just has a really high upside, he just makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I heard good things about his draft workout, and if he's on the board at 21, which everything I've seen in a lot of mock drafts, he should be on the board with number 21, I, I would love if the Jazz took him. Yeah, I agree with you. One thing that seems to be a strength of his, too, is, I mean, you mentioned that he, he's, a, he's a dang good three-point shooter, but also it seems like he can just finish well. He can finish, you know, with contact. Um, he, he's got, you know, a pretty strong build, and I think he could be great on both sides of the floor. I like his kind of 3 and D potential, um, but not just his three-point shooting. I think just his offensive potential in, in general. A lot of versatility, but also has, you know, the measurables to be a great defender. Um, yeah, I'm with you, John. I mean, if he's on the board at 21, there are very few guys I'd rather see the Jazz take than, than Josh Okogie. And it's interesting because as you touched on, I hadn't really heard much or talked much about him until Ryan Aston from the Daniels.com did his draft profile on him. That kind of perked my interest, and I looked more into him. I got pretty excited about what I saw, and I would love this pick for the Jazz, no doubt. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's intriguing to me is – I. He shot 38% from three, but one of the knocks on him that I've seen is he has a low release point on his jump shot, which leads some to think that he'll get it off more slowly and he'll be maybe get blocked on closeouts. But he shot 82% from the free throw line in college. And I think everybody knows by now that it, it's, it's odd. I don't know why this is the case, but they've done a bunch of studies that your free throw percentage in college is a better indicator better indicator of how good of a three-point shooter you'll be in the NBA. Um, he was a very, yeah. very strong free-throw shooter in college, which makes me think that that 38% three-point shot in college will translate to the NBA. So I just I don't see a lot of holes in his game, um, which means he has a high floor. And that for pick number 21, like that's kind of what you're looking for. You just you're either swinging for the fences or you're picking someone that you just think will stick that can be a rotational player, and I think he can be a rotational player. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, speaking of swinging for the fences, though, that's who my third kind of option is. That's Troy Brown, Troy Brown Jr. out of Oregon. And, you know, some people might find that as, as a bit of a surprise, and I do think he's risky. Uh, but going back to that recent interview with Walt Perrin, I just got a sense that, you know, maybe the, the Jazz were downplaying how much they like him as a prospect. Um, but Walt was pretty quick to say that, you know, the narrative is that he can't shoot. He didn't shoot well at Oregon. That's been kind of his biggest criticism. But then Walt was like, he, he can shoot. Like, this is the guy that, that can shoot, even though some people have kind of put him in a box that he can't. And I just feel like Troy Brown Jr. has an extremely high ceiling. And if the Jazz decide that they're willing to take a risk with 21, and they want to get someone that could be a two-way nightmare that could just be an excellent player on both ends of the court. You know, if his shooting does develop, his defense is, is close to already being where it would need to be um, in the NBA. I, I think Troy Brown could be an awesome kind of, not under the radar because I think a lot of teams are aware of him now, um, but just kind of a, a steal of a pick because there are some risks involved. Um, Walt Perrin also did mention that, you know, the Jazz are going to do whatever is best for them long term. And if that means picking someone that can contribute from day one, they're going to do it. But if it also means having a star in their ranks two years down the road, instead they're going to do that. They're going to look to really do what's going to be best for them, not just on draft day, um, but looking to the future. And so I think Troy Brown Jr. checks a lot of boxes. 
He's the riskiest of these three guys I've mentioned, but if they do want to swing for the fences and if they know something that we don't know, kind of like Donovan Mitchell last year, how, you know, we knew they knew he'd be good, but didn't know how good he could be. Um, if they view Troy Brown Jr. kind of similarly and they can get him at 21, although I think some team may nab him before that, I could see the Jazz going with him. Yeah, I think the one thing that I've really thought a lot about in this draft is what do the Jazz want? Do they want someone who can contribute now, or are they going to look at someone who is maybe a project who might take a year or two to really be able to bring in as a rotational player? Um, I've been more of the mindset that I think they're going to target someone who will contribute now because if they bring everybody back, they're not going to have a ton of money in free agency. So I think it makes sense to try and nab a player in the draft who can really contribute right away. Um, but that's interesting. I hadn't heard that Walt Perrin had said that. And coming from someone like him who's so close to the Utah Jazz, I mean, that makes it makes a lot of sense. Like maybe they'll go for someone who's a little bit more of a swing, swing for the fences type player. The thing that really intrigues me about Troy Brown was for a long time he was a point guard. I believe in high school he played point guard. So I know a big part of his game that's intriguing people is he had one of those late growth spurts where now he's six seven with a six ten wingspan, but he plays like a point guard even though he has the body of a two guard or a three guard. Um, he, he was really really good facilitator at Oregon and. For the Jazz, who really highlight passing and ball movement, I think that is appealing to them. And he's also a good defensive player due to his length. He averaged 1.6 steals per game in college, which is a lot in college. Um, I think the biggest question mark is going to be what you already talked about, is just his shooting. Um, He was not a good shooter at Oregon. He only shot 29% from three, and that's from the college three-point line, which is closer. So, I mean, that's, that's Mm -hmm. that's really poor. But... I I always remember Donovan Mitchell saying this, where a lot of people were surprised at how much he improved from the time that he finished college to when he started in the NBA. And the comment he made was, well, yeah, it's my job. And I think yeah. that's something that we really undervalue and don't think about too much is that if, if someone is a hard worker and they really take it seriously, the NBA is their job now. And they're not going to class anymore. They're not worrying about exams. like. They should be working almost 40 hours a week, if not more, on improving their game. And if you give him enough time to work on his shooting motion, and if that shot isn't, as people always say, does he have a broken shot? I mean, if his shot isn't broken, can he improve that three-point shooting and eventually become a player who can really be a scoring and playmaking two-guard in the NBA? So... I mean, as far as upside goes, I think he definitely has the highest upside of anybody that we've mentioned yet. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so some of my remaining players, we I want to touch on them just real quick. Um, Kevin Huerter, I know he's been someone who a lot of Jazz fans have heard about by now. Um, played for Maryland two years there. He is bigger, 6'7", and really just profiles out to be, I mean, Clay, I don't want to overblow this. We, we always compare players to all-stars and Hall of Famers, and that's probably not fair to them, especially with the number 21 pick. But, uh, I mean, he, he profiles out to be a Clay Thompson, J.J. Redick, Kyle Korver-type scorer in the NBA. Um, and in this draft, I think, it's, I think he's widely viewed among Trey Young as the best shooter in the draft. Um, and where the Jazz are definitely in need of shooting and someone who can – 
just space the floor better. I think he's someone who from day one can step onto an NBA court and he's going to have no problem adjusting to the deeper three-point line. Um, I watched a lot of video on him and what really impressed me was Maryland used him off the ball a lot. He can play with the ball in his hand and can create on his own and score and play off the pick and roll, but they ran him off a lot of screens similar to what you see with Clay Thompson, Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, where they log more miles ran than almost any other NBA player because they're constantly moving and running off the screens. And I can see the Jazz using him in that way, similar to how maybe they used Matt Harpering back in the day, but extending it out to the three-point line. And as far as prospects go, I think he's someone who, if he falls to the Jazz, I think he's going to be someone who's really, really at the top of their board. Yeah, you know, I like him a lot as well, and obviously an incredible shooter. And um, if he does kind of land closer to a Clay Thompson type, he'd be a crazy steal at 21. Um, my only concern with him is, you know, defensively, is he going to be able to be, you know, an impact player defensively in the NBA? And just athletically, is he going to be able to be, you know, an impact player in the NBA? But when yeah. you can shoot the ball as well as him, and when you have the range that he does, and just really the, the pure shot-making ability that he has, not only from deep, but he has a good mid-range game as well. There's no question in my mind that he's going to contribute. It's just a question of whether his positives will outweigh some of those concerns. But honestly, I think they will. I really do yeah. think that his positives will make him better than some other shooters we've had coming to the league that their negatives outweigh that. I think that Huerter has um, where his positives will outweigh those. Yeah, I just think he's a really really good shooter and like I mentioned earlier just like you want to draft someone who has that one elite talent that you know no matter what if other things don't pan out you're going to be getting this one thing and that's his shooting like his shooting will be there no matter what um the other thing about him like you mentioned his athleticism and that's like a concern um based on his combine numbers alone he actually had better numbers and results than Clay Thompson and Clay Thompson has proven to be able to stay in the league and doesn't look like a subpar athlete and is a plus defender. He's a really good, just kind of lockdown defender. So, I mean, yeah. based on based on those numbers, like he can do it. Um, but at the very least, I think you know you're getting a shooter, and that's something the Jazz desperately need. Last player I'm going to bring up is just Elio Kobo, um, out of France. Um, I think a lot of people maybe haven't heard of him, but um, really good, solid point guard out of France. He's 20 years old. I mean, kind of like Luka Doncic, where I think something a lot of people are bringing up is he's been playing against grown men and he's performed really well. He scored about yeah. 14 points a game, averaged about five assists. Um, a, a big thing, he shot 41% from three-point land in Europe. Um, just a confident scorer. He, I think a couple weeks ago, put up 44 points in a game. So, I mean, he's, he's just a really, really good creator and scorer, 6'3", good size. We don't know his wingspan because it wasn't the combine, but if the Jazz are looking for a point guard who can just score the ball, and if Howell Neto isn't going to be here, and if you also envision Dante Exum as more of a two-guard in the future, um, I think he's a really good option as someone who can just back up Ricky Rubio for now and be a scoring point guard off the bench. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I haven't seen a ton of Okobo, but what I have seen I've liked I'd say, again, my only concern with him may be his defense. And um, it is funny, though, John, you touched on how he's been playing so well over in Europe. And sometimes I think that people don't give that enough credit. They think, oh, well, you know, if, he's been if he hasn't played in the NCAA, then he may not be as ready to adjust to the NBA game. 
<laughs> but really, I feel like playing overseas can help these guys in some ways prepare better um, and obviously just playing the NCAA. But yeah, with Okobo, I got to go with his defense, maybe my one concern with him. But other than that, I think he's versatile. I think he checks a lot of boxes, and he could be a guy that's, that's high on the, the Jazz's list. Um, you know, they have obviously not been shy about um, putting international players on their roster in the past. And have another Frenchman alongside Rudy Gobert wouldn't be such a bad idea, I don't think. So, yeah, yeah. I love that pick as well. Yeah, and I've really wondered about that. Like, does that play into it? The fact that he's from France and maybe he has a connection to Rudy Gobert. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's something that's yeah. kind of interesting. Um, so we, we brought up a lot of good names, a lot of good players. I mean, is there anybody last second that you, you want to bring up that you think the Jazz should just kind of keep their eye on? Yeah, I mean, just really quick, and I, I hope our listeners will take this with a grain of salt because it, it really is speculation. It, they could be smoke screens. But just based on some recent news, I think two guys maybe keep eyes on are Donna Musa out of Bosnia and also Jalen Brunson uh, out of Villanova. And, um, you know, again, maybe it was somewhat of a smoke screen, uh, but Walt Perrin really raved about the last workout the Jazz held on Sunday that it was, he said that it was like ending with a bang, that it was really competitive, they were really energetic. I think he said and it was the, guy I think he said it was the best workout they've had so far. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And one of the guys in that workout was Donna Musa. And then again, take it with a grain of, a grain of salt, don't look too much into it. But also he mentioned that they went out with Musa to dinner afterwards, which that doesn't mean they're picking him, but I guarantee they're not doing that with every single prospect that comes through the door. So they obviously like the kid, which I think definitely means something. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And then Jalen Brunson, again, I keep going back to that KSL Sports Beat segment, but I was just surprised that Perrin really raved about Brunson, um, had a ton of good things to say about him and felt like he really liked him. Um, so I don't know, he, he could be someone that we haven't heard a ton about in connection with the Jazz. But then again, maybe there's some, some reason to that that they kind of wanted to keep it on the DL and maybe he's a surprise pick for them. So not saying those guys are my top two choices, but I think there may be some under-the-radar guys that Jazz fans should keep their eyes on on draft day. Yeah, I think those are definitely good names. I've heard a lot of good things about Musa, um, just as far as his ability to score the ball in a variety of ways. And also, I've heard he's really, really intense on the defensive side of the ball, which the Jazz could obviously like. Um, I mean, there's a lot of names that this draft is just so crazy because there's so many names there's so many players that the jazz could go after it's going to be so mm -hmm. fun on thursday but i mean we didn't even bring up grayson allen who's been linked to the jazz um yep. a, a really a really there's high flyer what was that there's dozens of options oh, at 21 which yeah is pretty unheard of. i mean one guy that we haven't brought up either that i've heard a lot of buzz about is jerome robinson out of boston college so he can really score the ball yep. i mean just there's so many options. Kata Bates Diop was a guy who, at the start of when I first started looking at players, he was like top of my list. I loved him. Um, but then there's just been so many other players that have come that it's it's really hard to choose. And I think the one thing we haven't even touched base on is the Jazz could trade this pick. I mean, they've done it in the past. They could package Alec Burks in the 21 pick and maybe move up. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't be shocked if they don't even pick 21. So I agree gonna be really fun make sure everybody watches on thursday um and again like keep an eye out read the articles on the j notes because we're going to be profiling all these players there's still a few days so we're going to be trying to bust out a few more players while we get them i believe the jazz are going to be doing just one or two more workouts before thursday so we'll keep you up to date with that news but i think that's all i had jared do you want to add anything before we go no, I think that's it. Just, yeah, uh, Thursday, 5 o'clock Mountain Time. It's going to be awesome to see who they pick.
Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for listening, and make sure you follow uh, you follow me on Twitter at John underscore Kiefer and Jared at, at Jared Woodcox. Make sure you follow the J Notes. We also have a page for the Three Point Threat where we've been asking uh, listeners to give us questions so that we can um, really dig into what you guys want to hear. So make sure you are active on there and follow us. Thanks so much for listening, guys.